Welcome back to the Business of Fatherhood. Today we have a special treat. It's Monday. I know it's a week before Christmas, and I want to give you a special interview that I recorded with Jeff Wellen. Now, when Business of Fatherhood started, there was always the goal to do interviews with people that climbed the corporate ladder and still had their family intact. And when I had a conversation with Jeff Wallen, I knew that this was going to be the inaugural interview for the Business of Fatherhood of highlighting dads that were able to have both. They were able to climb the ladder, they were able to achieve corporate success, and still maintain a connection with their son, with their family, and not leave them behind. So, without further ado, I'm going to dive into our conversation with Jeff Weller. Today, we are traveling all the way down to Texas to talk to Jeff Wellen, who is the recent published author of a book called Win, Things I Wish I Knew When I Was Starting Out, Starting Over, and Trying to Get Ahead. And if that is not the best title for trying to figure out what it is like to be a dad, and then also figuring out what maybe you missed, today's episode with Jeff is going to dive into that. So Jeff, welcome to the podcast today. Ben, it's uh, great to be here, and I uh, just look forward to the conversation. Uh, hopefully we can help a few people along the way here. So appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you. So as I think of a thousand different ways we could kick off this conversation, I'm going to give you what could be either an easy question or a hard question, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. When you think of like a mindset, an idea, a thesis maybe, what did you really have wrong about being a dad in those early years that you can almost go back and cross off now as like, yep, we need to delete that mindset that you thought it was the way it was supposed to work, but then realize that's not how it works. I think the biggest thing for me is especially because we, we did not have our son until I was uh, very late. We were 36 years old, both my wife and I. So we did not have a child when we were 21, 22, 23, tw late 20s. We had it at 36. So I was well into my career. And there was a, a, a massive streak of independence that had to leave me. Because obviously I had, and, and we also got married late. We got married when we were both 33. So both my wife and I were very independent. And that's the biggest thing is how to go from I and me to we and us. And, and that transition, um, especially because I was later in life, but I think it's the biggest thing that you, you hear from from dads and executives, moms, you know, parents in general, is how you start saying, my priority has to be this, this, this little child at first. And then as they begin to grow and age, that it still has to be your priority. And till, you know, the moment that my dad passed away, my mom passed away, my, my mother-in-law is 95 years old, her priority is still her kids. And so I just think that that transition, those simple words, I and me to we and us. And I think that's the one thing that I wish I'd have known earlier. Um, I think, you know, as you, if you look back, like you do kind of in a football game and you kind of analyze the, the game on Mondays and see what you could have done better. I, as I sit here today, my kid's now going to be 25 in a couple of months. Um, I wish I'd have made that transition faster. Um, and I think I did an okay job, but I think that's the biggest thing um, that you have to, that, that for me to be a great parent is you have to make that transition as, as quick as you can, uh, that adjustment. Let's pause in this micro moment right here to the listener out there who just heard what you said, feels it, feels the desire for change, but feels driven that the priority still has to be, I have to keep everyone fed. I have to keep the mortgage. How, what words do they need to know to really decelerate that mindset of my priority has to be here because if I don't keep doing this, all the other house of cards fall down as well? But I, I think that's part of the we. It's part of the us um, taking care of your family. I mean, my, my dad was a truck driver, so he never earned a great amount of money. But we knew every day he had to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go drive. And we knew he would come home sometimes at three, four o'clock in the afternoon at a 10, 12 hour day. Right. But he knew that part of his job was to take care of the family. My mom worked part time because she would, you know, her, her uh, income helped pay some of the bills. So both of them knew as parents, that is part of the responsibility that you have to have is to, to take care, to put, you know, to put a roof, 
over the over their head, to, you know, make sure the kids are clothed and fed and all the things that you have to do. And to give them, you know, what my dad said all the time is what you need, not maybe sometimes what they want, because that is two different challenges. But I think that's just part of part of what you have to do. You have to have the priority is how do I take care of my family? And the number one thing is shelter, food, clothing, right? And then you get off into all the other extracurricular activities that they want to do and take part in or, or the, the, the certain gifts, you know, today everybody wants to have a phone or this or that or whatever. But, but I think it's just part of what you have to do as a parent to understand that, that making a living, going out and, and getting income to take care of your family is, has to be the priority because you can't, you can't love and hold a child and nurture them if all these other things are not there. Um, so that, that I think it's just a priority that, that driving towards a career and driving towards you know, earning an income is just part of what you have to do to help make sure that your family's taken care of. I don't know if you're gonna be able to come up with a memory, but I've had like this spider sense, so I'm gonna go there. Is there a memory with your son and your kids, maybe just in family in general, that you remember like intentionally having this thought in your head like, this is what's important. Yeah, it's actually it's, it's actually a story in the book. Um, it's the, the title of the story is I Hate Camping. And it's about when my son decided of all the extracurricular activities that he wanted to do, he wanted to be an Eagle Scout. And part of that was you have to go camping and you have to do all of these things and you have to earn all these awards. And it was part of our church that the troop was part of the church and they needed parents to help with the activities and help guide the troop. Right. And so they said, Hey, Jeff, you want to be one of the fathers? And I'm like, uh, listen, if it's golf, baseball, basketball, okay. But I'm not really a good camper. I mean, I, I my, we never really did that when I was younger, but um, yeah, I'll do the best I can. I did it because of my son. He wanted that and they needed help. And so I did something that literally I do not like to do. I do not like, I mean, I like the outdoors in a different way, but I became, they actually gave me an honorary Eagle Scout because they knew how far behind I was, but I became the teacher of all the merit badges and, and everything the kids had to do to progress from when they first got into troops to Eagle Scout um, camped like 40 times. I think it was 38, 39, something like that at times you know, three or four times when it was 110 degrees down here in the summer, or it was 32 degrees during the winter. Again, didn't like any of it, except the main thing. I was with my son and it was important to my son because that's something he wanted to do. Just like I would have been with him if he just said, I want to be the best golfer or the best this or the best that, whatever his choice was, I'd have been there cheering him on. I wanted to be part of this with him so I had to decide whether I was going to sit on these Friday night, Saturday night campouts at home wondering what he was doing or do I want to be with my son, help other boys, because I love doing that as well. I love teaching, love coaching. Um, so, yeah, so you sometimes have to do things that are not something that you really like um, and, and continue to cheer them on and make sure that they understand that you are in their corner. And in this case, I had to do something. And my son to this day still can't understand, especially when he read this story because he helped me with the book a lot. He's like, oh, I didn't realize how badly you didn't like that. And I said, I did it for you. And that was, that's something important, I think, um, that all parents have to do. My dad did it with me. Uh, I just, uh, in our earlier conversation, I was mentioning to you, my dad's a truck driver, drove 35,000 miles across Wisconsin driving a truck. And then what did he do for a vacation? He drove us around the country like the Griswolds in the movie Vacation. So why would he do that? Because he wanted to make sure that we saw America and it was something important to him, even though I know he would have rather taken his vacation and done something else with it. There is an invitation in fatherhood to grow and we often go where it's comfortable. And so I'm curious, your invitation to grow with your son as an Eagle Scout What's something that you learned in your own life, not just that necessarily is applying to as a father, that that invitation allowed you to take and now you have every day within your life? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is, is kind of the foundation of this desire to help. 
<clears throat> when I was a young uh, kid going into college, um, I, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a coach because I, I just saw what my dad did for me to mentor and help me. Um, he took the time to teach me how to use tools. He took the time to teach me how to, you know, cook on a grill and, and paint and, and do all of these things that it could have taken him 15 minutes to do himself, but it took him 45 minutes to help me. So I think at the core, it's this idea of how you can not only mentor and coach your kids, but how do you mentor and coach other people? So as I got into the world of business, I had the pleasure of having so many mentors who took favor to me and said, I'm going to help that young man. And they did. And then as I got older and more experienced, and I wasn't a 22, 24, 28 year old, 29 year old young man growing, I was now the 45, 50, 55 year old that was the more experienced. I said, wait a minute, I can not only help my child, I'm going to help others. And so when somebody would come into my office and say, you know, I need some help with something, whether it's their current job or sometimes it was a career decision they were trying to make. Sometimes it got off into personal things every once in a while. Um, I wanted people to improve themselves. And, and it, was a, it was a core of, like I said, my father and what he did for me, what I wanted to do for others, what others did for me. So it's kind of like giving back. And I think, I think at the core, it's, it's again, it's a sacrifice. To, to, to mentor and coach other people is a sacrifice of your time because, again, it takes more time to help them than it would than just either do it yourself or just ignore them and say, you know, let them do it themselves. So whether it's your, your child you're trying to mentor and coach and, and grow into this, 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 this thing that will all of a sudden go off on their own and you hope and pray that that moment that they go off and they spread their wings and they're on their own, that they can now do the things that you hope you've built this foundation. It's the same thing if you're helping a colleague or helping a friend um, to, to, to be able to make them better and help them make better decisions uh, as they grow in their life and their career. I love that because what you're talking about is not necessarily just the work within you, the work in the moment of being a better dad, helping your son through whatever challenge. You literally planted seeds in his story that when he becomes a dad and he is confronted with similar obstacles of, man, I don't want to do this. He's going to have your story and your showing up in those moments to renew him of why it's important. And that is almost like those Eagle Scouts was fairly simple on the outside, but it was a deep uh, process on the inside. And you really created this process where your son's going to create a ripple and you created a ripple that's going to keep on going that like your part of your legacy as a dad will be that your dad show up in this family when you don't even want to, because it matters and you want to. And that priority is something that's going to be, and even the focus on tension, like that will be something with your family forever. And it started with you slowing down to realize I needed to connect into the woods and something I didn't really know. Right. And, and I think, I think one of the things that we we have lost a little bit in the last maybe generation or so, uh, you know, even maybe in my lifetime, um, is the idea of the importance of parenthood, the importance of moms and dads, the importance of parents in general, right? The idea of our legacy should not be, you know, a brick in some building or or a monument someplace. That's great. It's, it's wonderful. Listen, I, and, and if we get into kind of business a little bit here, I mean, I strove to, to be as high in the corporate ladder as I could get. But the one thing I didn't want to do is sacrifice the idea that the most important legacy that I'll ever have is what my son or what my son will get from not only me, but from my wife, right? Because I believe that I look at my sister, she has two kids who now are married and they have five kids. And, and when I recently went back to Milwaukee to visit them, I see my mom and dad in the grandkids. Well, that came through the, you know, my niece and nephew, through my sister and brother-in-law, through my mom and dad, right? So it's the same thing that, that I want to have with Zachary, both my wife and I want to have with Zachary, that he will now go out. And when he is a businessman, he will be this high integrity, high moral character business person, just like I wanted him to be, just like I felt I was, 
right? The same thing I want him to do in his relationships with what, whatever he decides to do with marriage going forward. And if he's blessed with a child or two, that he understands that that's the most important thing that you can leave behind when it's your day to leave this earth is that you left the legacy of someone who can continue to, and I love your term ripple, right? That ripple effect of that, what you left behind is because what you took time and invested in with these, these, these children that look at you, you know, in the beginning with starry eyes and about teenage years, they kind of go a little bit crazy. And then when they get to be 22, 23, they want to have some help again. Once they get in, you know, they, they get in the business world. But I think legacy is so important as it relates to being parents. And if we would spend more time saying you're a great dad, a great mom, a great parent, rather than you're a great CEO, which is again, great. You can do that. There's a balance. But I, I, I wish that we would see more of the reporting of parenthood and the greatness of what you did um, than, we, than I think we do uh, today. So let's address the elephant in the room, which is there's two sides of this conversation. There's one where we experience fatherhood, we have a desire to do it, but then there's still a reality where business doesn't always accept this as a priority. What advice have you learned on the way up to either introduce a conversation, to introduce a change, or as someone that could influence change in their company, maybe as an executive or a CEO listening, what advice would you have for them? Well, I think, I think the idea is how you kind of set yourself up and balance things, right? So when, I, when Zachary was first born, I was a consultant and I traveled all the time. And uh, I was gone, you know, 90% of the time. And, and luckily today you have cameras, phones, and FaceTimes, and it's much easier to communicate than it was back then when I was standing in an airport trying to dial home with a 45 code credit card that I had to type in just to hear my wife and my son's voice. So the, there is that balance that there, there is a give and take that, that you have to have. The choices I made was I got off the road and I took a job with a company that let me stay. And I only traveled about 20% of the time and I could stay in Dallas the majority of the time. So I could be there for these events. Right. And I think, I think even if you have to, you, you have to balance this, this workload, um, you can still do it and still be a dad. And I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. There's a story in the book called, I felt 10 foot tall. And as I told you, my dad drove truck a lot. And even though he was home, a lot of times he wasn't there because he was just so exhausted, right? From driving truck in Wisconsin, you got to think about the snow and the cold and the rain and, and everything that he had to do to drive for 10, 12 hours a day. So he'd come home, eat dinner, and sometimes he would go right to bed because he'd have to get up at three o'clock in the morning. So even though he was there, sometimes he wasn't. But his presence to be able to help a little bit with homework or to help a little bit with this just gave us the idea that we knew dad had to take care of us. But one day he had what they call the city load. And with that meant he just drove around Milwaukee, just delivering to local lumber, lumber yards. He, was a, he, he, drove, he worked for Georgia Pacific Lumber Company. And I was about 10 or 11 years old and we were playing hardball at our elementary school. And the only people that ever showed up there were the moms or maybe a grandparent or two that would come watch us play, right? Well, one day I was looking down on Greenfield Avenue and I saw a truck turn up on 104th Street, which is very unusual because it was a neighborhood, right? And that led right to the school. It was my dad. He had figured out a way, his truck was empty and he, had, he was done for the day, but he stopped and he came up 104th Street and he pulled that truck off to the set semi. And it, the game stopped because again, we we're 10, 11 years old. We all like trucks, right? And my dad who was about five foot nine he jumped out of the tractor and he looked like he was about eight foot tall. And he came over to the fence and he put his hands like everybody does. And he watched about an inning. And then he got into the truck and he drove down, did a U-turn and he came back and everybody's going like this. And he pulled that horn. And for the next month, I was the biggest man at that elementary school because my dad did something to make me feel special in this little window of time he had 
to go because then he had to drive back and drop his truck off and do whatever else he had to do the rest of the rest of the day. So you can find these moments. You can you can be at that soccer game. You can be at this baseball game. You can find these moments and you have to. My dad didn't have to. He told me later on in life he had to turn here and turn there and turn there. And he went way out of his way to come to that game. And, and I can remember that might have been the only game he ever came until I got into high school when we played on weekends. But I think what you can do is you can find those moments. And I remember this to this day. That's almost 50 years ago. And then, like I said, it's a story in my book. But just to show you can find those moments that will impact your child's life, even though you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you can find that. And that's, that's this, this idea of whether it, you don't want to go camping on the weekends or, or, you know, this case, my dad had to figure out a way to come there. You can find that special moments, even though you're still climbing the corporate ladder or, or, or in this case, my dad was just trying to earn a living and driving truck, you know, 40, 50 hours a week and trying to get a little overtime to pay for that extra thing we might want at Christmas. So find those special moments that your kids will remember, even though it might not be 24 seven. That reminds me of so many different little moments that I've created before Corona. One thing I would often do, and this was also before I even had lost my job that I would make an effort. If I would work from home that day or something was going on, I would go and have lunch with them. I would either bring my own sack lunch or I bring my own PB and J. And I remember like the kids faces around them, like having a conversation at lunch with this big guy. That's my dad's hero. Yeah. Like they haven't talked about it much, but I can imagine later in life as they reflect back that those were times where they remember, but that look on the other kids' faces, like that has that, like that 10 foot tall yeah. feeling. And that also reminds me of when I first started dropping off my daughter at early morning care in kindergarten. So she's nine now. So this was almost four years ago. Yeah. I drove by a diner and I was like, oh, there's a diner right there. And I'm a big breakfast guy. So I was like, we could go to breakfast before I drop you off. So we would leave the house like 45 minutes early. My wife would take the other two kids to daycare, which was in the opposite direction. And we would just go have pancakes before school started. And we would just talk That's about right. life. And I got so many pictures on my phone from those memories. Yeah. And she'll remember like that random moment we were just talking about anything. And it was over pancakes before school started. Yeah. And what I also really hear that I want to make sure every dad listens to this is when you say in your head that you don't have the time that's just a story to so that you can sell the lie that you're selling yourself every day but what you highlighted is there is the idea within every day to introduce something really random like that and intentional yeah that changes their memory construct forever and there's one thing that i could even hint to and i'm not sure if you've had to struggle this as well there's a lot of dads that i think between the gap between doing what your dad did and being a dad that just focuses on work, there's a permission issue that a lot of dads don't feel like they have that permission to step out of this character that they have to be to, to let down their guard, be a little bit silly, show yeah. drive by the baseball field and honk the horn. Like there's a seriousness to being a dad that often gets in the way of that lighthearted dad showing up and creating the memory. Well, I think, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that's this, this balance between, you know, how do you raise your kids so that you are a parent? I mean, because I, I, I believe, and I might get in trouble for saying this, I believe many parents want to be their friends with their, their children. And then sometimes they, that, that's a struggle when you have to, you know, kind of put your foot down, right? My dad was my best friend. Listen, I love my mom. My mom taught me so much, right? Um, but it was a different type of relationship. It was the mom-son relationship, which is different. My dad was my best friend, but he was my best friend because he also was there to make sure I had guardrails, right? And so I, I wouldn't bounce out of these guardrails. So you can be this guardrail person to say, you go over here, that could be some trouble and still be able to create these moments. And, and I think your, your statement there about finding time, I'll go back to the idea of, uh, mentoring and coaching when you could do something quicker than teaching somebody. My dad on weekends would always have the, what the, the infamous honeydew list, right? Check this, fix this, fix this, right? So he had Saturday and Sunday to do a lot of things where either he wanted to do them or my mom said, hey, you know, remember you need to fix that light socket, right? So my dad would always take time, even with my sister, who's three years older than me, 
he would take time to show us how to do it. And so we had a little small house in West Dallas, Wisconsin, you know, two story with a basement. And we had to fix an electrical socket one day. And I was about seven or eight years old. And he, you know, you have to go into the basement and, you know, that's when the old, the old fuse box, right? And he, he had me twist the fuse box or the, the fuse, right, out. And then we walked all the way upstairs to the second floor and he showed me how to take the plate off, showed me how to do this, right? Went to the hardware store, showed me how to buy it, showed me which one to get, brought me back home, showed me how to put it in, showed me how to put the plate back on, walked downstairs, put the fuse back in. He could have done all that in about five minutes. But I kept asking him, why did you do it this way? Why do you do it that way? Right. Especially with electrical. Why don't you touch this thing? Why don't you touch that? Right. It probably took him an hour to do something, again, non going to the hardware store that it could have taken him, you know, 10 minutes to do. That's the moment. And again, it's a story in the book because it's a moment where a father who didn't have the time to do that because he probably also wanted, he had like 17 other things. He had to paint this, fix the gutter, fix this. But you know, he always would have me or my sister there, just like when he was, they were cooking. My dad was a, a great cook. He was a baker when he, before he was a, a truck driver. And he, they would always bring us in the kitchen and say, this is how you do things, right? So it was not only teaching us valuable things that I learned to this day, and then I transfer those to my son, right? I mean, I, I helped my son learn how to do these things because I showed him how to do it, just like my dad showed me how to change electrical stuff. Now he tells me because my son's an electrical engineer, right? But, but I think that's where you find these moments where, where it takes you a little bit longer. But, you know, even if you just have a weekend, like when I travel and consulting, all I had was my weekends, but I would still find those little times to play catch with Zachary or maybe do a honeydew list thing and say, let's, Zachary, we got to go paint something or we got to fix something. Sit here with me right? And then sometimes he was off playing with a ball. He didn't care, but I was with him. And that's, I think, how you balance one, the guardrails of being, I don't want to say a tough guy, but being the guy that, that creates these things that say, stay here and you'll have, you'll be able to be a better person, right? But also create the moments and memories that last forever. Even if you know, at the end of the day, you got to get up and go to work at five o'clock in the morning, or in my dad's case, sometimes four o'clock in the morning on Monday morning and go to bed at eight o'clock Sunday night. Okay. But I knew that. I knew that. And, but he found those moments, those special little moments um, that I remember to this day. And my son, as we, he was home last week for Thanksgiving, he talked about some of these things the same way that he remembers these things now that he's on his own living in an apartment you know, he's like, oh yeah, mom taught me that. Or, oh yeah, you taught me that. Cause so those things can be, can help as well. And I love this whole conversation because it speaks to how do you not try to be the tough guy? How do you not try to be the disciplined guy? And how do you not try to be this guy that has to use fear as a parenting tactic, which is often right. an old school parenting dad tactic. Right. And how do you show up as this person that can nurture your kids growing up, but then also create a place where you can be that firm guy. And I've kind of error on my head. I always say parenting to the curve that I don't ever try to use force <laughs> or fear to get every decision to be corrected or every right. moment to be the one that I desire to be. Right. I continue multiple times over and over, repeat a conversation and many times, or I pick my battles. I pick, you know what? This is when I'm going to burn the house down over this behavior. <laughs> it's right. the wrong one. And I got time to focus on and making sure I can discipline the right way. Right. And it's that curve that lets me get where I need to go. And there was a conversation that I just had with my daughter. She came to me with it and she's like, Daddy, this is super random, but I just want to thank you for all the times we've talked because I really enjoy how how good it is when I don't have these sad thoughts in my head anymore. And we spend so much time talking at night about whatever happens on the playground, whatever happens at school. She's a very emotional girl and got lots of feelings going on. And she we talk for 20 minutes at least most nights. And I often feel like, is this going anywhere? And then randomly at lunch, she walks over and drops me that. I'm like, whoa, that took like three years of investing on a curve to get to her to realize of like, why is it good to have an empty mind? Because then you can bring other emotions in there that you want to, and you're not sorting out the negative feelings. And I was just like, there's going to be a moment when you're 30, lady, that I'll be able to look back and I can see your smile and know that it was because we helped organize the emotions early on. And... I want to go to a different area 
that can also plague DAGs in this category. How did you manage your ambition? Because you seem like an ambitious man that learned to measure priority. But when you had to like an A or B type choice, be ambitious, maybe grow a career, go after some education, but then err on like figuring out, is this the right season for that? What was your mindset and like maybe tempering your ambition, but making sure that it didn't make you blind as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when I was 22, 23 years old, I just got it in my head that I wanted to see if, how high up the corporate ladder I could get. You know, the goal was always to try to see if I could become the CEO. And that's the path that I put myself on. And so, like I told you, because I was married late, so for the first 10, 12 years of my life, I could do whatever the heck I wanted because I was single, right? Then once I got married and then once Zachary came, it was right when all of these things were coming together. And all of a sudden, now I had an opportunity to be a, a partner at a consulting firm or an executive with a, a big retailer here in Dallas. And I, I sat back and I said, well, wait a minute, if I do that, now I ex I'm expected to be different because now I'm at this executive level. What does that mean for being a dad and being a husband? And so obviously talked to my wife a lot and you know, I wanted to make sure everything was okay there because it was gonna be maybe not 50, 60 hours, it was gonna be 70, 80 hours. And it was going to be a lot of expectations on me if I wanted to take that path. And so part of it was to try to really come to grips with the idea of, of what would happen, especially, like I said, Zachary was three or four years old when a lot of these things were happening right in his tender age. So one of the things that I did is I said, I believe I can still get to this level, but I can't do it in consulting because I don't want to travel. So I actually quit the consulting world. And then I was able to get an, a, a job as an executive. Actually, it was with one of my clients. It was Michael's Arts and Craft Stores here in town because I didn't want to be away from Zachary in these formative years. I wanted to be at the soccer games. I wanted to be as, as, as much as I could, even like I described with my dad earlier, even if I was just, just crawling at, you know, at eight o'clock at night, just you know, dying and I could just say, Zachary, I love you. And he was going to bed. That was good enough for me because I wanted him to know that I was still around. So I, but I still continue to chase my ambitions, but I never put Zachary and my wife back here. They were always here. So everything that I did in my decisions, in, in my, in, in the way that I try to go up the corporate ladder, um, I, I tried to balance the idea of what was I going to give up and was it, was it worth it? Right. And so as I got, in fact, when I went into Michael's, my title was office of the CEO. So I was the right-hand man of the CEO. So I was not there, right? But I got pretty doggone close. And so for seven or eight years, um, uh, we had a heck of a run with the company. Um, but I always said to, to that organization and to my boss, the CEO, that, that I want to be able to have not time off for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Those are great. What I want you to understand is if there's a recital or if there's something that I want to go to and I'm going to leave at 6.30 rather than 7.30, you're okay with that. <laughs> because again, I didn't want to give up this track because I, I wanted to reach it. I wanted to get as high up as I possibly could, but I didn't want to forget the priority in my life, which is my family. And so it, it, so every, it was a struggle, sometimes daily. Because something would happen, some crisis would happen, especially in the early days, this was a turnaround and, and Rome was burning. And you just never knew when all of a sudden you were going to get a call or something was breaking, you know, and you just, you had to react. And all of a sudden now you're having to work on a Saturday and that was a Saturday that you were going to go to something. So there's always this balance. But I think the main thing for me is my career never trumped my family. I was able, and with help from above, to balance this enough that I was there, but I was also able to reach as high up in the corporate world as I was able to get. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a struggle. Every single day, it was a struggle to make sure that I did not forget my wife and my kid. Um, and I didn't want to be, there's a, a song, the uh, it's actually a story in the book 
Cats in the Cradle song by, I think it's Harry Chafin, you know, and, and it's, I just didn't want to be that guy. And um, in fact, later on, when I left those companies in the early to mid 2012, 13, 14 area, I had opportunities to go to the Northeast or the South, the Southeast with jobs. And I wanted to commute during the week. And they said, no. So I turned him down because that's right when Zachary was going into high school and I didn't want to move him right going into those formative years. And I've heard so many horror stories of people that move their families and their kid goes into a new high school. He has to make new friends and then all heck breaks loose. And so I didn't do it. So I, I turned down jobs and stayed working in the consulting world because I didn't want to you know, physically move him during his high school years. So again, it's just a balance. It's a balance like anything else that you have to do. Um, but I, you can do both. I believe you. I did both and, and you can do both. What I heard in that is courage. And courage seasoned with have the courage to have a conversation with your direct manager, whether that be the CEO in this case, which ultimately could take a lot of uh, courage in this case because he, you're like he's going to be all focused on like the stock or the profit or whatever. You're like he's not going to care about family, but having the courage one, you either get to find out that he's like yes, I never want you to prioritize, or you learn that it's not a priority, and then you know. Because then it's also, you're not dancing with trying to like hide that family is a priority in a company that doesn't support it, but you don't really know. They've never come out and said they don't support it. But having a conversation with your manager at least knows which side of the coin they're on. But then also, you get an idea of maybe then knowing where you don't belong. And I want to ask you this final question, because this I think this story could give hope and faith and also just the serendipity of where it took you that wherever you are at in life, there's always room to change. And I think that's what we get stuck in within the mindset of the corporate ladder, that you spend all this emotional capital and you've invested so much that you can't go back to the beginning. But I'd like you to tell, you, tell us how an elevator ride changed your life. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was working for a, a department store called Gimbals. I, I'm sure some of the people in this audience might remember them. They were uh, a major retailer department store in, in southeastern Wisconsin for many years. Unfortunately, they closed in the late 80s. But it was my first job out of college. And uh, I had made the decision that I just didn't think that was the right path for me. Um, plus, at the same time, my dad had suffered his first heart attack. And it just kind of shook me to my core. And I said, I think I need to move. I think I need to try to figure out. And, and the courage was the word. The courage was to say, I've got to move out of Southeastern Wisconsin. I got to see what the world has for me and what I can get out of myself. Now, again, I was single. And so I decided to leave that company without a job. I was just going to come down to Dallas in the mid 80s. It was hotter than heck down here, not just temperature wise, but growth wise, just like it is today. And I figured I could, I could make it down here. I just wanted to see if I could make it. And I was coming to do my exit interview. And I walked through these doors that were the employee entrance. And there was a bank of elevators there. And on the other side of the elevators is a door that led to the men's buying department. And that door opened while I was waiting for the elevator and out walked the national sales manager of Hager, the salesman for Hager apparel company. It was a clothing company, the regional manager of Hager and the assistant buyer for that department for Hager pants. Standing by the elevator waiting for, the, and this was a traditional department store, seven floors, right? You had to go up. And I was going to the seventh floor to see the CEO because knock on wood, they liked me and they didn't like that I was resigning. And they were going up there because they were going to see some other senior executives that day. They were there for the NBA coach of the year, which was Don Nelson from the Milwaukee Bucks. Right. We get in the elevator together and the assistant buyer says, hey, I heard you quit. I said, yes, I did. What are you going to do? I don't know. Stop at the second floor. They said, then I knew the salesman. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, ah, I'm thinking of moving to Dallas. So you're willing to move? Yeah, I'm willing to move. Anywhere? Yeah, I mean, but I think Dallas is hot. He said, well, do you ever think about selling pants for Hager? Elevator starts to move. I said, well, of course I'd love to work. Hager's one of the greatest apparel companies 
in America. I mean, they're, they're one of the largest, maybe in the world. I said, absolutely. I'd love to do that. And I, yeah, I'd be willing to move anywhere in the country. We finally get up to the seventh floor. The national sales manager, James Thompson, hands me his card and says, when you're done with your exit interview, come downstairs and talk to me because we're going to be standing on the floor while this Don Nelson event takes place. Six weeks later, I'm driving to Dallas, going to be a new sales trainee for Hager Apparel Company. So people could say that's happenstance, fate. I don't think so. I think you, I, I made that happen because I determined and I had the courage to say, Gimbel's was not going to get me there. And Southeastern Wisconsin was not going to get me there. Even though I love everybody there, my family's still there. I had to make a move. I made the choice and the courage to quit. I made the choice to say, I'm going to pack up and move. A bigger presence helped me meet James Thompson that day. And again, six weeks later, I went to work there for eight years. It gave me a great foundation and it helped me build the skills on my journey to be a senior executive in a company. So to me, what I call it is being, you got to be a door knocker. If you want to make change in your life happen, you got to be willing to get off the couch. You got to be willing to knock on doors and you got to also have the, the ability to have the door not open and the door closed in your face and the courage to go to the next door and continue to knock because you can find whatever it is that you want to be able to do, right? So my favorite saying is success and failure are judged only by those who are willing to try, right? So you can fail and still be a success as long as you continue to knock on doors and try to strive for that thing that you want. Now, there is, there is guardrails. I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. I wasn't blessed with the skills. So, so I can't say you can do anything because I couldn't play against, back in those days, Kareem and Sidney Moncrief and those guys. But I could be a senior executive in a company. So, so you have to be able to understand that you continue to push and you never know when somebody will be standing next to an elevator and change your whole entire life. What I love in that, and I want to make sure every dad realizes in that story, because hearing it for the second time now, it like the serendipity <laughs> of it, just I knew that was the closing question, is when you didn't have anybody else but I and me, you learned how courage a little bit of magic and a little bit of the universe showed up in a way that it always works out that, yeah. I mean, think of how many people told you you were crazy for giving oh. up what you had. Like the list was probably yeah. really long. Everybody. And, yeah. There wasn't one. And Even no one could have predicted like, what happened, <laughs> but had you not opened yourself and had that courage yep. that never would have happened. And what I want to kind of highlight here is showing yourself courage and leading with courage in these little moments, in your case, a big moment, I guarantee that gave you more courage to have deeper conversations, to be bolder in your leadership at work, and to be bolder in your leadership as a father. And even in this case, I'm not sure how much percentage you would assign to it, but a good portion of you saying to probably go to an Eagle Scout was, you know that like this doesn't make sense, this does not look smart on paper, but I've learned how the universe shows up when I go to the places that don't make sense. Well, and, I, and I, the, the one thing that I, I say is you, you hear this of, of football coaches and, and if there's a lot of Packer fans listening or whatever fan, it could be whatever fan you want. They talk about building on and stacking successes, right? So I had stacked success a little bit at Gimbel's, right? Well, now this event, I went to Hager and now my success level was up here and I backstopped it, right? So now all of a sudden it's not like, oh, can I really do that? It was 10 years and this courageous moment that then led me to say, at 33, I'm going to go on my own. And I left Hager after nine years, very successful career, loved them. Luckily, they loved me. I went to try it on my own when I was 33 years old because I had built this level of success to say, I think I can do this. Now, I failed spectacularly, but that still taught me things that I could do. 
And five years later, it got me into it got me in the consulting business. And five years later, it introduces me to the CEO that changes my entire life forever at Gimbals or at, at Michaels. So even though people say you were nuts leaving Gimbals, you were nuts leaving Hager. But it was the courage because I had built on successes. And even if they're little, they don't have to be spectacular. Even if they're little successes that you can get every single day or every single year, and you say, I'm better in 2022 than I was 2021, but never go backwards. Then you build confidence in yourself as a dad, as a husband, as a, as a, as a business person, as a friend. You build confidence to say, I can do this. And then when you do have stumbles, and believe me, there will be, life is not this rocket ship straight up. You have the, the ability to say, I can persevere. I can persevere. It's one of the reasons I wrote the book. You know, my, my industry is in tatters. Retail industry, Amazon's eating everybody. Walmart and Target are eating everybody. Retailers are closing all over the country. COVID hit them and was driving them crazy. And I said, well, can I be a senior executive? I still think so. But how about if I go write a book and make another courageous leap to see if people would actually buy my book, read it, like it. I did it at 59 years old. So it does, you don't have to be 22 or 32. At 59 years old, I said, I can do this. Now, why? Because I've had 40 years of successes that I built to say, yeah, I'll take a shot. And if it fails, I'll just brush myself off and find something else. And that's but laying on thing. your deathbed, you'll know that that was something that you did. And, and, and I know that even if it fails, and it's not, luckily, because I'm here talking to you because of it, but it goes back to that favorite saying that I learned and I saw when I was 23, try, try. And even if you fail, learn from it, grow from it, get better. Try, learn from it, grow from it, get better, right? And then success will come, right? And that's the thing that I, I encourage everybody to look at is not just go crazy with risk, right? But think about it, ponder on it, think where you want to go, set a path, right? And if you fall down, that's okay, get back up, learn, 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 learn. And then you can achieve these things. And at, even with a dad, I mean, hell, I didn't, you know, I mean, I had all greatest, I had greatest dad, I think ever, but I didn't know how to be a dad. I mean, you could read all the books you want, but when that baby starts crying, you don't know what to do at, you know, two o'clock in the morning and you stick his butt in the car and drive him around the, the streets just to get him to, to sleep. And you fall asleep in the car because you don't want to get him out. Well, you know, and, and how do you do this? How do you do that? So part of it is just the idea that you build courage. That's why the second kid can be easier than the third kid, right? Um, so I think it's, it's any time that you take a step into this, this, you know, this, this, this arena, whatever that arena is, parenthood, business, right? Friendship, marriage, right? There's still risk involved, but you have to have the courage to say, I'm going to do the best I can and I'm going to try. And if I make a mistake, I better learn from it. Now, if you don't learn, that's a whole other thing. But if you can learn and grow, man, you can, you can do a lot of great things. What I love about this interview, and I'm going to sum it up in this, what I just wrote down. It, fatherhood is an invitation to one, learn to stack successes in your own life. If you haven't felt those before, you'll feel failure, but you'll feel successes. But this <laughs> yes. is also the invitation to create a human being that already knows this feeling before he becomes an adult. That the more you can have it stack and success stack, a kid to understand his potential to fit into the world and actually make an impact on it and change it. That is the invitation to stack those successes. And they begin with a fuse box. They begin with putting Legos together. Right. They begin in riding a bike, the most popular dad moment of all. Right. All these moments create a moment of courage for them to keep going in the world and to understand it's scary, but there's oh, always yeah. people around you to help you. And that is life in, in, in a nutshell. Well, and, and I think the last thing I'll say to you is, is what we began with. Always try to find somebody who can help you along the way. Don't, there's not one person that hasn't been through many of the things that you're going to go through in your life, right? How many parents are out there, right? Since the beginning of time, we've had parenthood. So, so look to other people. And if you have great parents, look to them, right? If you have you know, other friends that are like, how do you deal with this? And, 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 and men are horrible with this. Luckily, I had a couple of guys that had kids the same age. And I felt confident because, again, I'm, I'm a confident guy and say, 
man, my kid's doing this. What the heck did you do? Your kid's four years older, right? And they're like, well, when he was going through that, we did this. Well, why, why should I go down every alley by myself and fall down? Why don't I find the people who went through these, these things with a child or with business or with whatever? Why can't you reach out and, and bury your pride and say, I'm going to ask somebody for help like you, a great dad coach, right? How do you, how do you reach out to people and say, oh boy, it's going to make me feel different if I actually have to ask somebody for assistance? bury the pride, ask other people who are great dads, ask other people how to be a great dad, ask other people how to get to certain ways in a business, how to ask people how to be an entrepreneur, how to ask people how to help in your marriage or whatever, how you, or help with a friendship, help with a challenging situation you have with life. Most situations, somebody has gone through, right? Even the situation with COVID, people go, oh, we've never gone through this. Well, my mother-in-law did because she was, she was born before the last one happened in 1919. She remembers it. She was like five years old, right? So, so or we read a history book. But that's what I think the biggest thing for, for, for men is to say, I need help. And I'm willing to open this up, open this up, and go find somebody to help mentor me to be a better whatever. And you I know think the irony of your career is you spent however many years in the consulting business, which is a trillion dollar industry of people saying, I don't have the solution. I'm going to go find someone that does and pay them thousands yeah. of dollars oh, yeah. to help me solve this problem. And in many cases, create mediocre results. They aren't even always as good as like some companies are just hooked on consultancy. Like yeah, that no, one exactly. didn't work, we'll hire right. another one. Exactly and yet there's right. still the elephant in the room. I'm still afraid to ask in something, the most important thing in my life that yet we often all do every day. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. This episode as the inaugural interview. I absolutely loved it. And I'm excited to keep doing these types of interviews. I'm really appreciative of Greg Fisher for introducing us. Who runs Bird yes. Pit Barbecue. A shout out for a great veteran-owned business in Southeastern Wisconsin. Great and, veteran. Uh, yep. Um, I just really appreciate your friendship as it's just getting started. But I am so glad you came into my life to share these stories because they will impact me for a long time. Well, I, I can't thank you enough to have this conversation. It gets me jazzed that, uh, you know, this is kind of thing that I want to transition to, to be able to help people um, help themselves and help others. And uh, you opened up a, a little avenue here that hopefully will turn into something really great between you and I, and uh, obviously the people who listen. And uh, that's, there, there's no other gift that you can give is to, to help other people out. And uh, if I really people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to get in touch with you? You can go to jeffwellen.com. Um, is my website. And there's a, um, on the bottom of the, the homepage, there's a contact that you can just send me a contact. It'll come right to my, right to me. And uh, uh, it'd be great to hear from somebody. So yeah, you just go to jeffwellen.com. And I know as a podcaster, feedback is one of those things that you don't often know how it impacts you. So if one of Jeff's stories impacted you, Reach out to Jeff and let him know. Yeah. There'll be linked down in the show notes to grab his book on Amazon. Check it out. Win. It's available now. It's an amazing book on how many stories of just like what we heard today, but magnified on a much deeper level. So Jeff, again, thank you for your time today and I look forward to the next time. All right, Ben. Take care.